more Sundays. We're going to be looking at something that we don't obviously see, that's not that evident about the cross and about Jesus Christ. The month of April is historically the month that we stop and we consider just the, the death and the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ and, and his resurrection. But there is more to it than meets the eye. And in, in our time together over the next four Sundays, we're going to try to help one another discover things that aren't so often obvious about who Jesus is and what he has come to do. So this morning there will be a focus about that, to help us to see that there's more than meets the eye about Jesus. And, and many of you, if not all, would be able to have something, and most of you would be able to have more than just one thing that you can recall about Christ. But I want to show you that as this idiom, more than meets the eye, really is defined as the following. It says, when someone or something has more merit, importance, or facets than in, that is initially perceived. So when you look at the cross, when you consider Jesus, because it's the most significant physical emblem that we can use to point to Christ is the cross. Amen? But when we look at the cross, there's actually more than meets the eye. There's more to it than what we initially perceived. Or another definition of this idiom is when there is a hidden significance, facts or value, greater than is first apparent about something. And that's what we're trying to discover over the next four weeks. And we don't have enough time, actually. We can go for four months. We can actually go for four years, and I'm not exaggerating. There's so much more than meets the eye when you think about Jesus. So four weeks is by far inadequate. But stay with us, would you? And try to walk with us along this journey of discovering more than meets the eye. And this is why. You've got to ask the question, why? Do we want to just walk out of here at the end of the month on the 24th of April would be our last Sunday about this? Will we want to just walk away with more information? Which not, would, won't be a bad thing. But this is my aim. There's no hidden agenda here. It's very clear. The more we know him, we sang about it, the more we love him. The more we love him, the more we... Jesus says, if you love me, you will... Absolutely. Absolutely. So obedience, your obedience, my obedience... Is, is our focus. So we want to see more about him so that we can fall in love with him more, so that we will love him more, so that our worship will be deeper. The more you see who Christ is and what he's done for us, the more it should increase our worship and our obedience to him. So there you go. This closed you completely what it is all about. So we're going to be asking a few questions. And so this morning, the focus of our chat today is, it was God who came to us. It was God. Now it's like, oh, that's apparent. Yeah, no, that's clear. We know that, Jesus, we know. But it was not just Jesus. It was God who came to us. You can understand that it's not just a great guy that came. It was God. And so the questions that we're going to ask is, how do we know that, it, that Jesus did come to us? 
How do we know that? None of you have seen him around here on earth. I was there. I mean, really, if you, if, if you have people going around and like, I, I was there, then obviously you can't listen to them. There's something wrong there. <laughs> None of us were around when it happened. So how do we know that Jesus actually did come to earth? How can you prove this? People, surely there would be people that will say, oh, come on, you Christians, you believe in something that happened 2,000 years ago. How can you prove this? So let's just, first of all, to go, go to non-Christian sources and, and just show to you that there are some around that, that can tell us that, that Jesus actually did walk around on the earth. And by the way, the first one would be the Quran. <laughs> I've never you know, thought that you would have me quote the, the Quran here on a Sunday morning. But actually, you go read the Quran, it'll give you evidence that Jesus did walk around on earth. There were some things about Jesus that they would not disclose there. And, but, but the Quran, the Muslim, if you want to call it the Bible that they have, confirms that Jesus was around. There's some other historians that, that lived around. This guy was, a, was an emperor, or not the emperor, the governor of a province of, in Rome. And his name was Pliny the Younger. It's kind of strange. They didn't have surnames those years. They just called them by this. I wonder what they will call us today. We didn't have surnames. Vesey the what? Or Clive the... So this guy was Pliny the Younger. Obviously he had older brothers. <laughs> but anyway, Pliny the Younger, he was a governor around that time. He, he was very skeptical about Christianity. But listen to what he wrote when he referred to the followers of Jesus. He says, they met regularly before dawn on a determined day, which is probably the Sunday, and, and sung to Christ as if to a God. They sung about this man. So surely he must have been around and did something amazing. And, and so there are plenty of people that you can quote that are non-Christian uh, references That'll confirm to us that, that Jesus was around on earth 2,000 years ago. So then we can go to Christian sources. And, and, and there are obviously, the first of all, we find that in the four Gospels, that the Bible itself and, uh, confirms that there's evidence that he was around on earth. We see that Paul himself wrote about it. Other letters were written and confirmed that Jesus actually walked around on earth. We see Revelation, the revelation of Jesus that's a confirmation. And then other Christian authors, after the New Testament was written, people that, that did not find that their writings ended up in the Bible, but they confirm that Jesus was indeed um, here on earth, convinced that he at least lived. But this is the thing where we're heading this morning. The crucial thing, though, is this, that proving that Jesus existed is not the same as proving that he is God. Do you get that? We can prove from various sources that Jesus did walk around on earth, that he was here, and that things like crucifixion took place at that time. And various archaeological evidences would prove that, yeah, those kind of things did happen at that time. There is no archaeological, archaeological evidence that it says, oh, those are the sandals that Jesus wore, or that's the kind of whatever. Thing that he used but what the time of Jesus would speak about would be able to archaeologically be proven so this is it there's enough evidence of that but the greatest evidence that we look for is 
is he God? Is it true, our heading, our title of our morning's message is, it is God who came to earth. But Jesus did come, it seems. But is he God? Is he God? And so that's why we're saying there's more than meets the eye when you look at the cross. We've got to discover and, and truly convince ourselves from the proof that there is, that Jesus is God. Because that, my friend, changes your worship. So if we just go around like, yeah, Jesus is a nice guy. and I mean, it's wonderful to talk about him. And, but if we understand that Jesus is God, there's something different. And so now the second question then is, how can we know that Jesus who came to earth was more than human? He wasn't just a nice guy. And, and if, you, if you think that way, then there's something that's missing. Because if Jesus is just a, a good guy, and, and that's, by the way, what the Quran says, he was a good man. He was a prophet. He did miracles. People would agree that those things would happen. But few would agree that he is God. And there are many religions today that would agree wonderful things about Jesus. But on this one thing, where everything is hinged, whether he was God or just a mere man, that's the difference that we've got to tap into and, and confirm for ourselves and have conviction about that Jesus is God. Because you're worship. Because if you worship someone that is not God, it's idolatry. If you don't believe that Jesus is God, and you worship or you kind of have a great reverence of him, my friend, that's just idolatry. It's not worship. And so let's look at some biblical characters, first of all, that spoke about his divinity or the fact that he is God and, and help us understand how real this is. Come on, let's go to John. And, um, and by the way, if you have that pen and paper, have that finger that can type on that device, this is a time where you're going to start writing down. John 1 verse 1 is we see these biblical characters. And so John says in, one, in John 1 verse 1, this is John talking about Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right? says he, verse 2 also says, he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so he's clearly talking about Jesus because I don't have time to go into the full explanation of that. But John says to us that, that this man that walked on earth is God. We read later on in John 1 verse 29 where, where John the Baptist now says the following about Jesus. Remember, they were compatriots and they were relatives. And, and so John speaks about Jesus in the following way. In verse 29, he says, The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Not behold my nephew, my cousin, or whatever he is, who takes away the sin. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. In verse 34, he says, And I have seen, I, John the Baptist, have seen and born, have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Clear proof that John saw him not just as another man. We read, and again, there are so many references from people that were 
on earth at the time of Christ that would confirm that he is indeed God. In Hebrews 1, this is a beautiful, we don't know, there's, there's speculation about who the real author was of Hebrews. We Today, we will continue until we get to heaven, just call the author of Hebrews the author of Hebrews. All right. We don't have a clear name. Some say it could have been Paul, but there's not clear enough evidence that it was Paul. So we make peace with the fact that Hebrews, we don't actually know who the author is. But the author of Hebrews says this in verse 3 of chapter 1. He says, he, this Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact, say with me, exact, exact imprint of his nature, of the nature of God. That makes him pretty, pretty close to God. Would you not agree? Hey? It says, and, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is what the author of Hebrews says about this man who came to earth. He came as God. Now let's go to what Jesus says about himself. There are so many things again that we can talk about. But first of all, Jesus said that this, he claimed to be God. He didn't, he didn't hide the fact that he was God or he is God. He first of all said this in, in Mark 14, where he's uh, brought before the council um, and the chief priests and the elders and the scribes were there. They now interrogating him. It's kind of like he's in, he's in court and, and he's been questioned. And he's trying to, you know, they're trying to find out who he really is. And, and it's very interesting that he is the accused. But what they're accusing him of, you'll find this just now, it's not his actions, but they're accusing him. They, they, they're challenging him, not by what he has done, but firstly by his identity. Because it says here in verse 61 of Mark 14, but he remained silent when they asked him, have you no answer to make? What is it that these, these men testify against you? And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ? the Son of the Blessed. And Jesus said to them, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And like, oh my goodness, this is a little bit too much. So he's saying, I'm claiming to be God. They didn't have a problem as such with what Jesus did, but they were outraged by what he said about himself. You see the actions of the accused in most trials are under scrutiny as being discussed. Here they're actually saying, what you're saying about yourself, that's enough proof for you to be killed. Your identity, you said that you are God. We're going to kill you for that. They were unhappy with the way in which he did the law and, and the Sabbath and all those things. We'll look at that just now. But they were actually, the reason why he was crucified was because he said, I'm God. I think that this is one of the crucial things for us in our walk as believers. That people are in a sense outside there. They're happy with our actions. We help the poor. We, we kind to one another. Should be. We want to serve where we can. 
and uh, you know, where there's opportunity for, for Christians to make a difference in the world, people are like, yeah, great, come and do it. The moment we stand up and we associate ourselves with Christ and say, I belong to him. He is my king. He is my savior. I live for him. That's my identity. There's nothing else that's more important to me. And we're like, ah, it's a bit wild. And the very thing that we're afraid to do is that very thing. We're happy to hand out stuff. Come on, let's just gather. We're going to just hand out stuff and give to people what the needs are and, and you know, sweep the streets and help with practical things. That's great. Everybody's fine with that. The moment we say, come on, those of you that believe Christ is the Lord of your life, go around and tell people that. When you're at work and they ask you for a reason for your, what you do, what you do, you say, I believe in Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. He died on a cross for me. He's like, whoa, it's a bit of a much, eh? I'll tell them I'll go to church on Sundays. I'm okay with that. I'm comfortable with that. But when you ask me to actually step out and give an account of my faith and reveal my, my identity that it's in Christ, my identity as a male South African, Afrikaans speaking person, that's not too much to put forward. But when you ask me to say, what's your faith in Christ and where does that, where do you stand on that? It's like, oh, that's a little bit more intimidating, isn't it? And I think that that's the very thing that the devil wants us to keep, to keep us from. To recognize, first of all, our identity is in Christ and not in which church we belong to and where we stay and what we drive and what we wear. He wants us to, to be, to be um, misled and to not see the full picture of our identity in Christ. And so part of us growing together, which I'm talking about and uh, referring to this thing about Sunday that we want to do is to help each other find our identity in Christ so that you can be effective in what God calls you to. So Jesus, he didn't make any excuse for his true identity. And folk, if you don't have true identity outside of your physicality, you need to find it in Christ because that's where our true identity really is. So Jesus, secondly, he claimed not to only be God, but he claimed to be equal with God. And there are a couple of verses that we need to look at that. It's from John 5. Let's go there. John recalls here how Jesus is actually saying, you know what, I'm not only God, I'm, I'm equal with them. There's no difference. In John 5, verse 17, are you still with me? All right? If you don't get the spelling right, just look from the board, eh? It's fine, but keep notes. One of the reasons why you also, what is helpful to keep notes is so that you can stay connected to what we're talking about. It's just a simple way to also help you stay awake. Uh-huh. Simple strategies. All right. So John 5, verse 17. It says the following. Again, they, Jesus is answering them and, and there's a lot of things happening. Um, so there's a man that Jesus healed and, and on the Sabbath. And um, Jesus said to him, sin no more. And then the man went in verse 15 away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them in verse 17, my father is working until now and I'm working. <laughs> He's like, I know it's Sabbath, but hey, the father and I, we're like, we're like at Grafter, we're working. <laughs> and then verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus is saying, I have the power to work just like the father. 
and that he was like the Father. He was Lord over Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't lording over him. He was lording over Sabbath. And by the way, that's how we should live our lives. The Sabbath does not determine for us how we should live. We determine how we should rest. So Sabbath is not my identity. It's like, if I don't rest and I'm in trouble, my, my salvation is found in Christ, not in keeping the Sabbath. It is very good to rest. If you don't rest, it's not wise. God said you can't always just work. You need to rest. But Jesus comes and he says, this is how I work because my father works like this. And he claimed to, therefore to be of the same nature of his father or equal to him. John 8, just two of a, so chapters later, Jesus says the following. You've got to see these things. They're amazing because there's more than meets the eye. In verse 57, Jesus it's talking and it's again him and the Jews having this dialogue and, and they, they're accusing him and they're not quite happy with the way he's talking. And in verse 54, Jesus answered them and he says, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And then in verse 57, so the Jews said to him, because he was saying um, in verse 56, let me read that to give you context again. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Like, you're talking about Abraham? I mean, Abraham lived like thousands of years ago. And here they're saying to you, you're not even 50. And have you seen Abraham? It's like, you're a lunatic, Jesus, they're actually trying to say. Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> he didn't say before Abram was, I was. This is an incredibly important aspect. Just two words, I am. It's the same discourse that Moses had with God in the burning bush, remember? And he said, who is this? What's happening here? Who's speaking to me, Moses would say. And the response came, I am, that I am is speaking to you. Jesus uses the same words. So his claim to be, a, to be God is, is based on the fact that he's equal with God. He uses the same words that God with Moses had used. This is probably the climax in his dialogue with the Jews about his claim to being God. He says, I am. That's why I know and I knew Abraham. I was there. I didn't just come about... 30 years ago, when Mary gave birth to me, I've always been and I always will be. That's the stuff that, that we've got to see about Jesus, that he is God. John 14, we're still in John. And I hope you're still with me. Verse 7 to 9, Jesus is again, he's talking to his, his disciples here. And it says, and verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. You've got you to read these things slowly. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Then he says in verse 8, or when Philip speaks to him, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
Yeah, this is big. This is massive. He says, how can you show, say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So Jesus declares here that to know and see him is equivalent to knowing and seeing the Father. We cannot worship the Father and say, well, Jesus is like a little bit lower. Got to recognize that Jesus is God. And that our worship should come from that understanding, that conviction, that revelation that He is God. He claims to be such a perfect revelation of the Father that anyone who sees Him has seen the Father. For the people of the time, as much as it's difficult for us today, imagine then, for the people of the time, and for us today still, this could probably be the most staggering thing Jesus ever said. You see me, you see the Father. You look at me, you've seen the Father. Jesus not only said he claimed to be God, he not only claimed to be equal with God, but he also received worship. As God, and we'll find just a couple of verses regarding this to prove again to us that it was not a human that just walked around here on earth. It was indeed God. Because there's more than meets the eye when you think about Jesus. Matthew 14, verse 32 to 33 says the following. And, um, and when they got into the boat, again, there's a beautiful context where Jesus had walked on water. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat, what did they do? The Bible says they worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. We find in Matthew 28, verse 9, the following happening. Just These are not random verses that we just plug out to try to prove a point. These are things that are clearly in Scripture for us to be able to see that Jesus is God. And Matthew 28 verse 9 says, And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings when he met um, some of his disciples or some of these ladies. It was Mary Magdalene. And um, oh, it was his disciples, yeah. He says greetings to them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. We find the last instance of just proof, just simple proof in John 9, where I want to show you just in verse 38 to 38, 35 to 38, the following. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Asking the man who was set free. He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And in each of these occasions, Jesus did not stop them from worshiping him. You've got to believe this is serious stuff. Because there's one thing that God says, I do not share my glory with any. He says, when you start worshiping something else, I call that idolatry. And I'm a jealous God. And I'm, you, you're parting from me. You're worshiping something that you shouldn't. We know that the commandments are very clear. You should worship the Lord your God only. And nothing else. No image that represents him. There's nothing that should be worshipped but him alone. So when Jesus receives worship from people, he's acknowledging that he is he's God. Because if he wasn't God, like you would find elsewhere, when, when 
For instance, somebody would fall in front of an angel. The angel would say, don't, 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 don't do that. I'm not God. You don't dare worship me. You only worship God. John's, John did that in, in Revelation. We find that he was reprimanded in a sense by an angel. Say, no, no, no. You only worship God. Here you have Jesus being worshipped and he doesn't stop it. He allows it. Indicating to us that Jesus accepted worship as God. By the way, how's your worship today of Jesus? Something God will never stop. I guess most of the time it's something that God would want to revive in us. Say, we know that God will never stop worship of Him. But what is the most real thing? The most common thing that God will say to His people? I think it's more, worship me. He'll never say stop. He will say worship. To what extent is God saying that to you perhaps and to me at this very moment in our lives? How's my worship? Does it need him to come and say, come on, I think you need to step up a bit. It's been a bit, been a bit cold. And if you do, don't ever worry that he will say, that's too much. You've gone overboard, my son or my daughter. He'll say, come on, worship me. Jesus, in terms of what he said, and, and how he lived his life, the last thing I want to state here is that he offered what only God can give. And we read in Matthew or in Mark 2, verse 5 to 12, that he forgave sin. And in John 8, verse 46, it's very clear that Jesus said, I'm, I'm without sin. So he offered us something that no one can offer. Forgiveness of our sin is absolutely clear evidence that Jesus is God. And there's the fact that he is sinless. And by the way, not only does he confirm this, but throughout Paul's letter and in Hebrews, we see clearly that, that he lived without sin, as only God can do. This is what Jesus said about himself. All right? Now, the other thing that proves to us also clearly that Jesus is God, that it wasn't just a mere human that walked around here on earth, is the behavior of Jesus. We looked at the words that Jesus said. Let me just show you a few examples, and I'm just going to give you, I think it's three, just three examples about his behavior that proves to us that he is God. The first thing is we've we got to look at how he behaved in front of people and, and to prove that he is God. We want to talk about Jesus and, and, and miracles and how he performed miracles, and I want to take you to Luke chapter 11, would you? All right, this is, this is the last major thing we're going to look at this morning to help us see beyond the just a simple um, perspective that we often have of Christ, that there's more than the eye meets, than meets the eye. Luke 11 verse 20, Jesus is here involved in, in casting out a demon out of the man. In verse 14 that took place of Luke 11. And he says in verse 20, but it is by, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So God, Jesus is saying, I, I performed this miracle because of the finger of God. It's not a physical finger, it's by the power of God. 
He says, and why did I do this? Why have I set you free from a demonic oppression? Why do I heal people? Why do I perform amazing things? Is it so that people can just say, wow, that's an amazing God? Because there are other people that go around performing miracles, whether it's through hypnotism and through, you know, strange ways and whatever they do it. Jesus says, this is why I do it. And he says, if I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the fact that he performed miracles is not the major issue, but how he interprets them afterwards is what we need to see. That Jesus says, when I do this, actually there's a dominion change that comes. There's a change. There's, a, there's something new that's established in your life. It's not just, oh, I'm free, but I'm set free to live for the king. The kingdom of God comes. So it's not like any other miracle worker who does amazing things. And, and people's lives just carry on normally. This Jesus, when he performs a miracle, is a sign indicating the coming of something completely new. And it's not just a physical thing. It's a spiritual environment that they enter, which is the kingdom of God. God's like, wow, there's something settling in your heart. There's something that's broken open that you see. I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for something bigger. So Jesus, in his behavior, he is performing things that says, this is a God. This is God alive. This is what God is doing. He's changing my whole world. Jesus, in his teachings, also proved to us that he is God. It says in verse in John, John 6, verse 47, Jesus repeats something that is repeated about 84 times in the four Gospels. Jesus uses two words often. And various translations have different ways in which they look at it. And, and, but you've got to look at the original words that Jesus used. Two Hebrew words, or one Hebrew word that he repeats over and over again. Many of your translations, it'll say truly, truly. Or verily, verily. Or it'll say, what I'm about to say is the truth. And that's repeated, as I said, a number of times throughout the gospel. Matthew and John does use the word most than the other. But they use, the actual word is amen. Amen. Hebrew words that were brought from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And Jesus would not say that at the end of what he's saying. Because amen is normally at the end of a prayer, isn't it? Where amen really means what? Let it be. Let it be so. Amen. Jesus says that beginning of every time he makes a statement. You go read it. There are hopes of experience or examples in the, in the Gospels where Jesus would say, Truly, truly, I say to you. But actually what it's supposed to be saying, the correct Hebrew word which is brought into the Greek, you go read the Greek New Testament, it'll have amen, amen there. Jesus says, what I'm about to say is the truth. Not what I have said. He's saying, he comes with such confidence that he says to us, I am God. And what I speak is the truth. So you've got to listen. He doesn't say it at the end, like we used to. Hey, what I've just said is the truth. He says, what I'm about to say is the truth. And John 6 Verse 47 is that, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. In actual fact, in verse 30, 53, it says again, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you do this and whatever else. So there are many examples where Jesus uses this. And he actually is his own witness. 
He says, I don't need other people to come and say that this is the truth. He says, I am telling you this is the truth because I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it, through his behavior, through the way that he taught, he confirmed to us that he is God. The last one, it's a beautiful one, It's in Mark 14. We had been in Mark before. Let's go back to Mark. Where Jesus uses the term Abba. And, and let me explain to you. Mark 14, verse 35 to 36 is the following. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that Jesus is now in the Garden of Gethsemane. He fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass him. It's like, God, if only this could just pass me. And he said, first time in the New Testament that we see this, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. So many of you would know that the term Abba was used to describe a very intimate relationship between a child and a parent. And, and it's not correct to just use the word daddy today. It's inferior, far inferior to what this word really means. I know many people would say, yeah, well, that's where we use daddy. It, it goes far beyond that. Abba was a very intimate or an indication of a very intimate relationship that a child had with his parent. So Jesus uses this in his most challenging moment. He says, Abba, Father. So he introduces us to an incredible, intimate relationship that he had with his father. And that that was Absolutely unlike any that people had, perhaps with, not perhaps, definitely with God, the Father. So he understood that at the time, the culture would know that this is a word that would speak about intimacy. Jesus brings that into his relationship with the Father. And he says, Abba, Father. Which is a closeness that nobody had ever tasted of before. And we know that, that actually also later on in Romans and in Galatians, Paul uses these words again, this word, Abba. When he says, this is what God has brought us into, out of slavery, into sonship, daughtership, so that we now also can say, Abba. So Jesus, being God, introduces us to what he and the Father has to invite us to have the same with God. The Father. Because he says in John 14, verse 6, no one can come to the Father but by me. So he says, What I have with the Father is only possible for you to have if you come through me. I am God. He's saying, I am God. There's no other way for you to experience God the Father unless you acknowledge that I am God. And it's through me that you can have. These folk are but a few examples of why we believe that it was God who came to us. And that when we consider Jesus, that there are more than meets the eye. 
what will be so good for you is to go and, and sit and read through these verses and ask this question just before God, between you and Him. Say, God, help me to see more about Jesus, more than meets the eye. These verses that I've given you, there are plenty others, but just take some time to go and see that there's more than meets the eye about Jesus. Let these verses speak to you. And you don't come back with, hey, I read this and this is what I saw. No, it is so that your worship can improve. Your worship can be, become deeper. Your obedience to the Lord can go wider because you see that he is God. Next week, we want to talk about the actual cross and what that actually meant when Jesus died on the cross. Then from there, we're going to look at what the resurrection really changed. What brought about, what was brought about through the resurrection? Then on the last Sunday, we're going to look at, at the legend of Jesus, or the legacy rather, the legacy of Jesus, what he has left for us, because there's more than meets the eye when we consider Jesus. So Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, my time, this 40 minutes is far inadequate to even come close, Lord God, to who Jesus is. But help us as your people to keep on digging and going deeper and keep on searching and then discovering more than what meets the eye. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as a church, we will be people that will take time, make time, make time actually, for us to, to see more than meets the eye. Help us not, Lord God, to stay content with where we are in our understanding of who you are. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will take us beyond our current understanding, knowledge, conviction. That we will grow deeper into who you are. And so that the result of that will not be, oh, I know so much. But that the result will be, I want to let my love for him increase. So that the character change that need to come to my life will take place. So that the obedience that need to follow will also be real in my life. Father, I pray for this. I pray that we will grow because we see more of who Christ is and who he is and what he's done. And then subsequently alter our lives accordingly. I trust you for it, Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.